0: Progress, potential, and possibilities discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another fascinating guest today, uh, helping to create a better tomorrow on uh, many different fronts for us. Uh, Today we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Marina Escura, who is a lecturer in the biology of aging and neurosciences at the School of Biosciences at the University of Kent uh, in the UK. Uh, Dr. Escura received her PhD uh, back in 2011 from the Karolinska Institute, and her PhD uh, research at the time was a collaborative project between Karolinska and uh, the Medical Research Council Laboratory of Molecular Biology. uh, where she was studying neural circuits and behavior in C. elegans in the lab of uh, Dr. Bill Schaefer. Uh, During her PhD, she identified various extrasynaptic mechanisms uh, by which nutritional status helped modulate uh, nociception. Uh, went on to do a postdoc working in aging with uh, David Gems at University College in London. Uh, During her postdoc, Dr. Square developed uh, various methods to monitor the development uh, of multiple age-related diseases in vivo in C. elegans, ultimately leading to uh, the discovery of a very interesting and previously unknown process uh, termed intestinal biomass conversion, a really interesting mechanism which uh, uh, where basically C. elegans' intestines uh, break down uh, over time to produce vast amounts of yolk, resulting in polymorbidities and mortality in aging nematodes. Uh, This work further served to illustrate uh, how aging and age-related diseases ultimately can be a result of these, you know, wild-type run-on gene functions rather than just uh, the traditional thought of statistic molecular damage. Uh, Dr. Escora's current research group is focused uh, on how host microbiome interactions uh, affect host aging. Uh, She has funding from the Wellcome Trust and Royal Society for this work. Uh, Dr. Escora is also a trustee board member of the British Society of Research on Aging. A lot of interesting topics to talk about today. Uh, Dr. Marina Escora, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me and inviting me, Ira.
0: It's, it's, a, it's a great pleasure having you. Um, I, I want to start things off uh, like we typically do by basically handing you the floor for a little bit, Marina, just to, to talk a little bit more about yourself. If you could sort of take us back to the early story, where you grew up, uh, how you got interested in uh, in science and neuroscience and aging and a little bit of the the early research journey, I think that'd be a great way to start everything off.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I was born in in Argentina, uh, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. My parents are Argentinian, but at a very early age, we uh, when I was very young, we went to um, Sweden uh, and started living there. So, I grew up um, in Sweden um, and um, went to university there at the Uppsala University, um, and uh, was really sort of fascinated by biology and knew very vaguely that I want to do uh, a sort of research career in, in biology. Um, But during my undergrad, I was kind of like struggling to find that thing that was really going to be, you know, um, what I, my thing. Um, And then at the very end of my undergrad, I, I took these, this neuroscience, um, module um, so actually I was studying more sort of biotechnology so I hadn't done a lot of biology um, but I took this extra neuroscience module and was absolutely fascinated um, was a fantastic module um, I felt so like you know pulled in and excited um, and in one of the lectures um the the lecturer, Professor Don uh, Lahrhammer uh, spoke about this, this animal uh, C. elegans, uh, and showed us, you know, the kind of sort of science that you can do to understand uh, behavior and the nervous system um, in C. elegans. And um, it was there and then I was like, I'm, I want to work. This is so amazing. I want to work with this, with this, with this organism. Um, At the time, there was nobody in Sweden who was really doing neuroscience in in C. elegance. Um, So I started looking around um, and because sort of at the end of that of my undergrad, I had this opportunity to do a six month uh, research project, which I could do anywhere. in the world, not necessarily at, at my home university. Um, so I started looking around uh, different labs and um, came across the lab of, of Bill Shaber, Schaefer, mm-hmm. who was then in, in San Diego, in California, um, and thought that the stuff that he was doing was really interested. Um, so, so I emailed him and said, asked, can I come to your lab uh, for six months and do some research? Um, So yeah, there I went. Um, I had to take quite big student loans to make it this, you know, possible Mm -hmm. to happen. Um, But um, that, that was really my introduction to to C. Elegance. Um, I just sort of I mean, it was so 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 early in my research career. Um, I didn't. I don't think I could actually quite realize the, the 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 potential of working with these kind of organisms fully. But but you know, there was something about it that I kind of understood. This is this is good. this is going to be really cool. And I started doing a PhD with with Bill Schaefer um, in that lab, um, um, which was like you. Said in the in- introduction, joined mm-hmm. with the, the Karolinska, but I was uh, physically in in Bill's lab, and um, and as I was starting, he got a job offer to go to um, to the LMB in Cambridge. Um, so the whole lab packed up, and uh, we went across the world uh, and set up um, the shop in in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That was quite a uh, sort of shifting in sort of environment, going from Southern California um, to um, to a place like Cambridge, but mm-hmm. absolutely mind blowing uh, in terms of like you know the scientific experience, the research experience that that I had that I had there. Um, and um, as I was, you know. Doing my PhD and going to conferences um, and learning, you know, more about what people use C. elegans for. I got really interested in the biology of aging, mm-hmm. um, as you're well aware. C. elegans has been, you know, a fantastic tool to understand sort of the, the fundamental drivers of of um, of aging, um, and um, and um, yeah. I I contacted uh, David Gems for a postdoc. Um I went to see him um and we had this fantastic conversation about, you know, the aging field, its potential moving forward, um and it turned out that um he had just received a big grant with Linda Partridge um mm-hmm. Um Dominic uh, Withers and Janet Thornton to do work on a big um program funded by the Wellcome Trust um, to work on aging. So four four labs working together from, from, from different um angles. So so yeah, he had a, a, a funding for postdocs. So I joined um as a postdoc. Um, And again, was in a fantastic environment because now, so I went to to University College London um, and uh, we were at the Institute of Healthy Aging where a bunch of different uh, research groups using different models uh, work on the biology of aging. Um, So I learned lots about, you know, what people do in in Mm Drosophila, um, in, in in mice um, and um yeah it was it was you know a really a really good um, good experience so that's that's what sort of pulled me into the into the biology of aging really
0: outstanding outstanding and you know as I'm you know reading through sort of uh, the the different groups of work that you've done and, and we'll get sort of to the microbiome in, in a little bit as we focus on your current lab. But I, the first place I really wanted to start, because I, I I remember when this paper came out, it was extremely fascinating. Uh, it was entitled uh, C. elegans eats its own intestine to make yolk, leading to multiple senescent pathologies, 2018. And, and here, you know, you you go into this really fascinating uh, dynamic, uh, once again, in C. elegans, um, where there is this uh, sort of this wild type program known as uh, the telegenesis or the, the, the creation of yoke uh, that, you know, you think about these, these mechanisms, many we don't know about, you, you're discovering new ones all the time uh, that should stop but it doesn't, Uh, and in this particular case, not only is very important at the beginning of life, but leads to this degeneration and death uh, at the end of the organism's life uh, by this horrible autophagy (laughs) of the intestine. Talk just a little bit, if you would, about this particular work and and, and sort of where we are in sort of the discovery of some of these mechanisms uh, that sort of sit behind the scenes from a lot of the more Statistic molecular damage that uh, we we typically see in the news, uh, but I, I think we really need to focus a lot more on a lot of what's happening behind the scenes and some of the things you're discovering uh, along this path.
1: Yeah. So 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 when when you pr- talk about you know um, C elegans and aging and C elegans, one thing that people often ask you about is what what do nematodes what do worms die of? Um, and 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 we haven't been able to answer that question because we don't know. People have been looking at uh, most to, to a large extent at you know survival curves, so lifespan of worms, different mutations um, that you know will will, for example, increase lifespan. Um, but but when I joined David's lab, um, there was. Sort of not that much knowledge about what is going on, sort of physiologically, uh, what diseases do, do the worms get, um, what 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 kills them in the end. So so that's really what what I started working on, and I um, what what we started doing was to develop sort of um, methods to to um, in alive living nematodes mm-hmm. just follow them throughout life and look at what happens inside in their different tissues. Um, People have done this uh, to some extent in the past, but not in a systematic way. So we started looking at sort of several different tissues in parallel and just observing what what happens in the worms. Um, And one, well, two of the most striking uh, features is one is that the, the, intestine of the of the worm um, sort of deteriorates horribly their their intestines just kind of shrink down they go from being like big healthy intestines and they kind of just shrink down to almost nothing remaining um, and the other thing that happens is that they completely fill up with fat the worm is like a bag full of fat um and this fat um is related to the yolk to the production of yolk. Mm-hmm. Um so what worms so 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 just to explain a little bit about the biology of, of worms, they sure. have short lifespans. Um, and early on in ad- adulthood, they produce eggs like there's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. In like three days, they lay between two and three hundred eggs, um, it's, bio- it's biologically it's a huge sort of effort um, that they put into all this sort of reproduction, um, and um, and and what this work sort of eventually led to was um, an understanding that what the worms do is that they they made in order to produce all these fat that they need for 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 fat and proteins that they need for the egg production, they start breaking down their own intestine to, to generate this biomass. After three days, the worms stop producing eggs. Their reproductive period is over. But the, 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 the production of the, of the fat and the protein just continues. It's like a tap that has been switched on. And there's no evolutionary pressure to switch it off okay. because the worms um, have stopped reproducing. So, so, so what ends up happening is that that fat and protein has nowhere to go and just fills up in the, in the body of the, of the animal. Um, so, so that was, um, and, and together with, um, another postdoc in the lab, um, Alexandra Benedetto, uh, we discovered that, um, this process involves autophagy, um, and that was quite, um, controversial because, because we know that autophagy is actually something that's really good. It's a way for the cell to recycle material, uh, Mm -hmm. in particular, say, for example, during starvation. Um, But in this particular specific situation, the worms are using autophagy to break down their own intestine, um, so causing actual damage to their own organ. And then that results in, in all this sort of fat and protein being produced and filling up, the body of the animal, making the animal basically obese. Mm. Um, so that, that was what that um, paper um, was about really. Um, so it was, it was quite difficult to publish it. Um, there, there was um, sort of, we felt there was a bit of resistance uh, within the field to sure. to 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 put this forward, but you know, with a lot of work, um, we we got we got there in the end. Um, so, if you then want to relate this to um, to 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 the biology of other animals, which you know don't have this specific, um, you know process of breaking down their intestines to produce yolk for right. offspring that does no longer exist. Sure. The, 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 what, what, this, what this work demonstrates is more a principle
0: mm-hmm.
1: of, of the kind of drivers that um, could be, you know, driving the, 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 the aging process, yep. which is that you have um, sort of biological processes, biological mechanisms, that are um, beneficial uh, earlier in life, mm-hmm. for example, to reproduce um, or to grow, like insulin signaling, yep. um, that are switched on in, in early in life. And then after you know years and years and years of being switched on, they are no longer needed, but it's like a tap that has been switched on and there's no evolutionary process to switch, switch it off. Yep um and that links into you know bigger theories of of aging antagonistic pleiotropy sure, um sure. for example the idea that genes can have beneficial effects in some circumstances but detrimental effects in other circumstances um and the the the, the, the hyperfunction idea that has more recently uh been put forward by by uh Blagos mm-hmm. um so that was that was um a study that that kind of shows that aging is not necessarily the cause of aging. It's not necessarily the accumulation of you know of dam- of stochastic or the right. stochastic damage um, that might happen as a as a side effect of other um, processes um, that are really have been evolved, have been selected for because mm-hmm. they are beneficial um, early early in life.
0: Sure. I'm I glad you pointed that out because, I, you know, that was one of the, the things that I wanted to sort of highlight, which is great that you did the other, that uh, for, I guess, listeners that may be less familiar with something like C. elegans and just, uh, okay, nematode, whatever. But here, you know, I, I wanted to also highlight sort of the, this very unique sort of systems uh, biology that you can actually glean from working with a species like this. So uh, that, that's why I, I I was equally excited to talk about that. Um but, but now sort of moving from that and bringing uh, C. elegans with us, uh, we, we move on now into uh, your path into the, the human microbiome. And now here is a, uh, a topic we've touched on a little bit on in the past. Uh, we, uh, you know, discussed we have these trillions of organisms living uh, in, uh, on, or in some cases, symbiotically part of us. Um, and your, your work here at the lab really um brings together several interesting things from from the past so you're bringing together c elegans uh your work in neurology because you're now going to be connecting the gut microbiome and the brain axis neurochemistry um behavior psychiatric disorders and aging of course Um, take us a little bit in sort of where you're going with all this because obviously the microbiome is a very hot topic you're now uh bringing in some very exciting components of that the cns uh your your innovative models and of course aging walk us through a little bit what you're doing here
1: yeah so so um so over the last you know uh 10-15 years or so you know we we've suddenly learned A lot about the microbiome because we now have so 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 earlier on um you know say say when i went to school um i think i I was told that the the um the human gut has 200 species of bacteria or something like that (laughs) um and the reason and now we know we we know that it's many 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 more and the reason that that the, the the sort of the, the microbiome was sort of underestimated was because what people were doing was they were taking say fecal samples uh, from humans or animals and growing any microorganisms uh, that were present in that sample in a in in a lab using standard um, sort of microbiological techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, now the problem is that many human uh, or many microbes that are present uh, in, in humans and animals uh, wouldn't grow under, under such um, conditions. Yep. Um, they can't tolerate uh, high levels of oxygen. Um, they might need very specific, so, so say media, they might have to like feed on like, you know, mucins from humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a lot of these bacteria didn't, didn't really grow Um, and were therefore not studied Mm -hmm. but then what happened was that as sort of high throughput sequencing techniques um, you know were used more and more widely became you know available and you know less expensive people started actually sequencing um, what was present in fecal samples and and um, I mean the 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 the, it's mind-blowing it's it's such a diverse set you know of of, of organisms um, that we have present in our gut um that now have been sort of are starting to be characterized based on their genome yep. um so so that you know so suddenly you know the scientific community became aware um, of 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 that we have a, actually a very rich and very diverse uh, microbiome. Um, a lot of funding and projects was like put into looking uh, at, it, at it in different aspects uh, from different aspects and, and one thing that that um, people within the scientific community did was that they started um, say take samples from different fecal samples from d- different patient groups mm-hmm. um, and compare what you know, if you have a, a healthy uh, sort of cohort, um, cohort that has like you know Alzheimer's disease or you know cardiovascular disease or cancer, mm-hmm. um, and um, and and these studies started showing that actually um, you you the the, the there, there can be a lot of differences in the microbiome between these. You know, between healthy and um, unhealthy um, individuals, and there are, I mean, numerous, numerous studies uh, showing showing this, um, and that's the kind of uh, studies that over the you know the last years have gotten a lot of you know you see a, a lot about it in the media. Sure. People are you know starting to to become much more aware of the possibility of the microbiome having effects on health. Um, there's there's a lot of sort of interest, but these kind of studies don't show that the if the microbiome actually contributes to, to disease right. um, or if changes in the microbiome might be caused by disease or whether the, actually there's not really necessarily a relationship so 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 it's really important to now start to study this in the lab um, and and um, you can do so. So there has been quite a, f- a few studies um, where people have done it in mice. Um, so you take, you know, laboratory mice. Uh, you can sterilize them, for example, um, and start introducing specific bacteria mm-hmm. um, and study that um, in 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 a lab environment. Um, but it's it's. It's quite you know it's challenging um, because you have to have very specific facilities to sure. have like sterile mice um, it's quite it's expensive it's slow so so there's really a need to in addition to to, to, to say mice also mm-hmm. start working with many other different models that can like just help us understand um, what are the sort of um, what is the relationship between the microbiome and and uh, health health what kind of interactions do we get between microbes in the gut you know and different um, aspects of, of you know host host physiology um and um and um myself and you know other people you know started thinking well c elegans could be a really good model for this sure. um because you know it's it's very easy to work with, um, inexpensive. Uh, you can actually sterilize it very easily just using household bleach. Um, you can, you can um, then, you know, do all kinds of different sort of experimental work that you would want to do in a, in a systematic um, way. Um, and then people have also started working with flies, looking at, you know, um, using flies to study the microbiome um fish and that's really where I think I think you know what the field need needs is a a, a lot a lot of people working using different models yep. um and and really because we need to understand really the basics of sort of how these interactions actually actually work. Um, so um yeah so that's what I um kind of set out to do you know, as I was, as I was starting up um, my own, my own lab, mm-hmm. um, established model systems that are easy and inexpensive um, to study um, interactions between, between um, my, the microbiome and the host.
0: How, um, obviously, as you're pointing out, the microbiome is a very diverse place and and we have obviously the the big one in our gut but we have all sorts of other ones uh, you know there's a urinary tract uh microbiome i think there's microbiome in our lungs now uh, i always see I, I see a lot in, the, in the, the press about um uh we're finding new microbiomes everywhere we're really just you know a puppet <laughs> of the microbiome when you think about it but um coming back to sort of you know your specialty in connecting Um, microbiome, neurobiology, and aging. Um, Is it only the gut that you're you're focusing on? Are you focusing on other microbiome? I'm not exactly sure how, uh, you know, where the main, I know the gut, brain X, but are there other microbiome axes in the human body that also are interestingly connected to aging, right? If that's a silly question, just <laughs> shut me down. Yeah. So
1: I think I mean it's a, it's a really good question, um, and and uh, and that the simple answer is that most of the understanding we have um, is you know comes from from the gut microbiome sure. because that has been the most studied. Right. But we also have you know skin microbiome, vaginal microbiome, and so and so on. Yeah it's just that at the moment I would say we know much less um, and the, the, the microbiome is also the sort of the, the, the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, you have to start start somewhere. Sure. Um, and the other thing to to, to to add to that is that when, you know, the, when we talk about the microbiome in general, we talk about, about bacteria, but actually there are, you know, other microbes, there's viruses and so yep. on. Um, but, you know, I would say that this is like such a new biological question that we're starting to look at um, that, you know, you just have to start somewhere and you, you know, you start sort sure. of simple, um, sure. but, um, but yeah, I, I am sure that we, you know, in the future um, will will learn lots about, about the other, about other micro microbiomes as well. Got it. Um, when it comes to, to sort of the connection, uh, between the gut microbiome and, uh, aging and, um, the brain, um, so, so there, there have been some quite intrigu there have been some studies, uh, you know, looking at in humans, how the microbiome changes, um, with, with age, um, and sort of to... to To be very sort of general, what they they show is that as we get, so we're born, we're pretty much sterile, Um, then as, you know, young infants, we start getting exposed to to bacteria, Um, they colonize the gut, we start getting, you know, more and more microbes um, and more different species. Uh, By adulthood, you know, it has kind of stabilized. And then as we get older, we start getting a less diverse microbiome. Hmm. Um, So we have fewer um, bacterial species in total. And um, the the studies also seem to suggest that there is an increase in sort of the the more pathogenic species um, Hmm. and a decrease in what's regarded as beneficial um, species. Got it. And sort of related to that, there is also um, a lot of changes going on in the immune system as we get old. Um, So our immune system becomes less functional. Um, We are sort of less resistant to 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 pathogens. We also, you know, get a more kind of like sort of um, hyperactive immune system. Mm -hmm. The immune system is no longer responding um, as um, as as it it should so there's like a really sort of intriguing sort of possible connection there that there are sort of changes in the immune system changes in the microbiome um possibly like a a, a sort of negative spiral of of things you know of, of of that interaction between the immune system and the changing microbiome that might then sort of um affect health other parts of, of health, um, as, as we age, mm-hmm. um, including, um, health of the, um, sort of, of the nervous system. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are quite, there are, there are studies, um, in, in, for example, in mice, um, showing that, you know, changes in the, in the microbiome can affect, um, different aspects of, of, um, of brain health, not only in old people, but also in young people, Uh, you know, connections to to autism and social behaviors, Mm. uh, connections to mood, say depression, um, um, and also to neurodegenerative diseases related to, to aging. And there's lots of super exciting, fascinating research going on where people are starting to figure out specific, the, the specific mechanisms by which bacteria could be affecting the nervous system through, for, for example, um, secretion of specific bacterial molecules, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, neurotransmitters, bacteria, yep. bacteria can actually make neurotransmitters that can then affect the, the host, um, the host um, um, nervous system, mm-hmm. but also through immunity. So, so bacteria in the gut and um, our, our gut immune system are constantly interacting. The, the, the job of that immune system is to, you know, um, allow good bacteria to, to to thrive, but to make sure that there's no, you know, um, that the, the keep check of pathogenic um, bacteria. So there's a constant sort of interaction there um and change so it's you know changes in in the composition of the gut microbiome can very well be having effects on the immune system and that can then affect um the 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 nervous system um through you know communication between the immune system and the nervous system so there's lots of 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 you know super exciting research going on there um and and um you know, C. elegans is a, is, is a very useful model for that because, because we have a very simple nervous system, super simple, 302 neurons. All the neurons, you know, are mapped. We know exactly where they are. We know to some extent what they do. We can control the bacteria. Um, so we can, you know, put bacteria, worms on very, with very specific bacteria um, and really get into the sort of nitty gritty gritty stuff of looking at molecular interactions between the bacteria, um, and the nervous system, um, and, you know, aging, which is sort of, um, what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that, that, that's, that, yeah, that, that's, you know, the beauty of, of, uh, of the C. elegance model, they're the, the kind of like simple experiments that you can do um, to, to look at sort of very mechanistic um, aspects of, of these kind of interactions.
0: And it's, it's uh, clearly a very, <laughs> a very fertile ground for exploration now, and there's, there's so many directions you can go, which is uh, extremely exciting, as you were saying, between the different microbiomes the virome, thinking about that, and then obviously the the different directions here—the pathogenic, the good—you uh, know—so uh, there's a lot of work ahead of you on this one. So that's that's exciting. Um, related to this, and you know, when you were talking about um, not just the organisms themselves, but the very interesting sort of uh, sort of cocktails of substances that uh, microbes secrete and so forth. I, I was recently reading about um, a. Uh, uh, I guess an award you got or a, a grant from me. Uh, the National uh, Biofilms Innovation Center um, and working with a couple other groups uh, and this is another sort of in a, a couple of careers ago I sort of had an introduction to biofilms and it's one of those areas that you know here we're talking not just about the microbes but uh, they secrete all sorts of interesting sticky gluey like substances and this extracellular matrix and, and they mess up a lot, not just the human body but they mess up a lot of stuff from ships to bridges uh, it's truly of dollars worth of, of, of potential, if you can deal with biofilms, um, you're, you're obviously not focusing on all that stuff. You're looking at wound care, acetomonas. Um, Talk a little bit about this this recent uh, relationship, and then I was just wondering, seeing so you're thinking about you're, you're going to be focusing on wound care, but it got me thinking about you know how these biofilms. Once again, you know, uh, do we have biofilms growing inside us uh, with our microbiome that are Possibly, as I said, you were saying uh, messing with with some of the systems, and we, uh, we this is a, another fertile area of exploration. I guess we should be getting into.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so this um, this grant um, that I got for, for two industrial partners is is a, is a small grant, and the 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 the, the main um, what we're going to do is actually to develop. Tools where we um, um, make transgenic bacteria that will change color when they produce a biofilm, Um, and C. elegans is a is a transparent organism. It's completely transparent. Yeah. So you can you could you the the idea is that we'll be able to to follow these color changes in living animals as the bacteria in the gut are um, are making biofilms. Um, and, and in this project is for a very specific sort of context that has to do with, yeah, as you say, uh, pathogenic bacteria. But, but what, you know, potentially in the future, then we can use similar approaches to look at sort of gut bacteria um, um, and be able to really like, you know, Um, monitor as they form in in C. elegans. And why that is important is because we actually know very little about biofilms in humans. So so bacteria, as you say, they they produce these sticky, um, so what they they make is really a a film. um, And they go from being sort of an organism that lives, you know, as a single organism to becoming like a community. Um, so they live, they can in these biofilms, the bacteria, uh, live as a community, um, and that kind of changes a lot of the, the, the biology and the properties of, of these, of these bacteria. Um, and there is a lot of interest in understanding, you know, to what extent biofilms, um, are formed in our gut. and uh, you know what kind of effects it has um, on um, on on the biology of, of the host, but it's so difficult to study that in in um, in, in in a human or even sure. in a mice in a mouse um, because because the, the 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 films are forming in sort of in that gut. It's very difficult to kind of follow that. So there are, you know, approaches using cell culture, um, but we really don't know how that, you know, translates into a real real gut. Um, so, so it would be really nice to, to develop these kind of tools that allow us to, to actually look at how biofilms form. And I, I'm also very interested in biofilms because actually there has been a couple of very nice uh, papers um, um from for example the 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 um, noodle lab showing that in in c elegans um biofilms impact on aging okay um so um so so you know it's quite it would be quite interesting to um explore that area a bit more and look you know um how does this ha- you know how how do how do the bacteria form biofilms inside the host gut mm-hmm. um exactly how does that you know impact on on different aspects of health um and of aging um and and could you know could this be used to to uh, learn more about about human uh, um human aging and health in relation to to biofilms Um, But,
0: um, yeah, that's another very exciting and and, and really uncharted area. So it's uh, you you really you really have a lot on your plate, but it's it's a really uh, fascinating portfolio. Um, Anything I I mean, you know, we touched on um, the uh, the previous work in wild type gene function Microbiome, biofilms, anything else that is going on in the lab, or uh, any presentations, conferences, anything that you want to mention where you're going to be that uh, we may watch you uh, in the coming months, um, please uh, plug anything else that's uh, that I haven't touched on that you might, you might have wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, so 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 the the, the um, sort of. Um main sort of focus of the lab right now and, and something that I recently got funding from from um, one of the main funding bundes, funding bodies here in the UK, the, the BBSRC, um, is um related to um really, well, t- two kind of strands uh of work. Um so so one thing that um we are doing in, in our lab is that um We've um, taken bacteria that were isolated from worms in the wild, in the soil, uh, by by other labs, by okay. uh, the Schulenberg lab. Um, so they went out and uh, got you know, because nematodes, worms, C. elegans, they live in in the soil. So yep. they went and got some of, some of these you know wild wild worms and um, checked what bacteria um, they have in their guts. It turns out they have lots of bacteria in their guts. Um, these bacteria to a large extent, haven't been actually studied at all before. People didn't even know they existed until, mm-hmm. until they were published by, by this lab. Um, so so I got very interested in like, oh, this is like an opportunity to look at like, you know, sort of more natural interactions between C. elegans and, you know, and its, its natural microbiome. Uh-huh. Um, so we started looking at these uh, bacteria and um, one of the things we found was that, um, a specific species of, of this sort of, um, natural microbiome, um, improves a model of Alzheimer's disease in the worm. Hmm. Um, so, so, so worms don't normally get Alzheimer's, but you can engineer worms, um, to, um, make to, to, to sort of have certain aspects of human, um, um, of, of Alzheimer's disease, and we—I mean, I could tell you in more detail, but but just to keep it keep it simple, mm-hmm. um, we found that these bacteria actually suppress this this disease model, um, and um, and that was really you know um, quite intriguing, um, and um, and we continued working on this and realized that this bacteria, even if you take it, um sort of outside the worm, uh, how should I explain this in a, in a little bit uh, better way? So, so what we were, what we were um, looking at specifically in the worm is the the formation of a a certain aspect of Alzheimer's disease, which is these senile plaques formed by amyloid um, peptides that kind of aggregate uh, and destroy neurons. Um, So this Suppressed the, the bacteria suppresses this in in the in in the worm, yep. but you can take those aggregates and look at them in a, outside an animal in a in a in a in a tube, um, and this bacteria also suppresses the formation of these fibrils uh, amyloid uh, fibrils in this in this setting as well, and we are we now know that the bacteria are actually secreting, actively secreting a a compound um, that that inhibits the formation of these fibrils. Um, So what we want to do now is to figure out sort of, yeah, a bit more of of the detail of of exactly how, how this happens. So that's kind of, you know, Potentially, it would be absolutely fascinating to then start looking at, um, you know, if this bacteria can do the same in in other animals, you know, uh, in flies, in mice, Um, and, um, yeah. Can we learn, what can we learn about, you know, how bacteria might be affecting Alzheimer's disease um, in, in, in humans? Um, um, another sort of, um, aspect of, of this bacteria that, that we are working with, that we are really interested in is that we found that they have a really strong effect on uh, mitochondrial biology. Wow. Um, so, um, this is like uh, sort of really, it's quite, it's really fascinating because what it tells us is that um the bu- bacteria in the gut can actually talk to mitochondria in other tissues
0: yeah.
1: and affect mitochondrial um sort of function and in the case of our project that affects function of the muscle um so you 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 could you could potentially see sort of a scenario where um your bacteria, your gut microbiome, um, is affecting uh, mitochondria um, in different tissues, and that's affecting the tish, the, the function of that tissue. like, say, you know, muscle function, motility, exercise. Um, so that's um, yeah, that's another sort of aspect of, of of our work that you know is particularly intriguing at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's ext- extremely intriguing, and you know when you, you talk about it, you think okay, uh, you have you have some interesting paths in terms of um, can we isolate interesting secondary metabolites from this uh, microbe? Can we uh, increase its natural uh, amount in in the body? Can create microbiome cocktails that are benefited so it's it's really neat especially in this area the the amount of directions that you can go uh and once again you know i i love this type of research because it shows you know uh, as much as we love you know being the humans <laughs> that we are that in, in many ways we are still sort of this uh, puppet to this amazing uh uh system of of microbes and viruses and everything else that uh uh we got to (laughs) respect and 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 keep studying because it's it's so important for for health and aging and longevity so uh really really exciting stuff marina i i just you know uh, i've really enjoyed listening to you talk about these programs, and 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 really uh, wishing you the best with all this research moving it forward uh, in 2022 and beyond um, for everybody that's going to be. Uh, listening to this particular episode uh, on our podcast or watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, Once again, you've been listening to Dr. Marina Squira, a lecturer in in both the biology of aging and neurobiology uh, school of biosciences at the University of Kent uh, in the UK uh marina i want to want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us for a little while uh, thank you for everything you're doing there and continuing to do and as we like to say on our show thank you for helping to create the better tomorrow through this research extremely impressive
1: thank you Ira. thank you for having me and yeah i love your 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 podcast and, and the work you do um
0: it's great. i appreciate that thank you